Hi, welcome to another episode with Minor to Major. My name is Jeremiah Rankins uh, with Minor to Major, helping people turn their minor setbacks into major comebacks. So I wrote an article that I had posted on uh, my LinkedIn and kind of put it out there on Facebook as well. And so on my website, it'd probably be the easiest way to access it, www.minortomajortx.com. Go to blogs. It's the very first one that I have up there. I decided to put my content on my platforms instead of writing for the magazines. Um, I, I write for two magazines and then uh, for Medium. <clears throat> and so, yeah, I wanted to put it on my website, create a blog for a lot of the parents in the community to go and see my thoughts. So, yeah, it's I titled it Lazy. I think it was Lazy Therapy, Lazy Counseling. I have to go check it out again. Um, what did I post on there? It was Lazy Therapy. That's the name of it. So y'all can go ahead and check that out on my website. It is up right now. But let me share it with you. Is telehealth the new standard for healthcare? I must admit, as a practicing behavioral health professional who meets with clients both in my office and in the community, I struggle with the practice of telemedicine, telehealth. I am able to identify my personal biases on the topic of face-to-face mental health services versus telehealth, that virtual stuff, but I wanted to share the concerns I have with the evolution of the, the way medicine and mental health professionals practice moving forward. Now, I would like to say within my, my I would like to stay within my scope of knowledge and outline some of the most common pros and cons of the practice of telehealth services from a master's level practitioner's perspective before giving my personal opinion on the space, on the, on the practice. Telehealth services have been around for a while now. I can remember having a discussion with a supervisor early on in my career, Ms. Jackson, about the confidentiality concerns, laws, and regulations revolving around the use of telemedicine with a, mer- a nurse practitioner we're teaming up with to see our patients at our office. Very, very reluctant. There was lots of reluctancy. It was just rolling out uh, to the mainstream uh, healthcare uh, community. Now, here are some of the highlights of some of the most common downfalls for telehealth. So, COVID 19 concerns going into public places, the lobby of the practice, you know, dealing with ink pens, uh, chairs, magazines, doorknobs. I get it. With this new pandemic out, the germs, uh, you know, even with flu season, that is still a concern. You've got uh, the distractions such as electronics, video games, televisions, pets, family members, phone calls. Those are distractions uh, to telehealth. I guess the COVID-19 concerns uh, would be a positive. So that would be a pros for not going into the office and doing face-to-face. Our busy schedules get in the way with sudden changes in our daily lives. Most clinicians charge for late late cancellation. Things come up. Things pop up. Hey, I'm not going to be able to make it in two hours. Or I misjudged the traffic. I'm going to be 20 minutes late. I didn't know there was going to be an accident on 610. The most important part of human interaction is the nonverbal communications that happen. We miss that important cue, those important cues in telehealth and virtual. 
if I ask you an anxiety-provoking question, uh, your leg may start tapping. You may tap your foot. You may fidget a little bit. I need to be able to read those, read those things. Another hindrance is telehealth is dependent on internet providers and services. If service is unstable, then sessions are disrupted. We depend on our service providers to work, our Wi-Fi. We depend on that stuff. There is a large learning curve for the generation gap with elderly users. So elderly people may have trouble. They may stumble. They may, well, I didn't know. Well, uh, yeah. I just, I'm not used to, I'm not really technological stabby. And, you know, so, you know, we have that, that, that large learning curve with that generation, our older generation. When dealing with the World Wide Web, users run the risk of cyber hacks and insecurities. It is easy to exit counseling sessions if things get heated in therapy, which they sometimes do. Someone slams the laptop closed after being triggered. Therapists tri- uh, may trigger him or her or they. They may get into um, deep conversation and, and, and start talking about some things and uh, they trigger themselves. Reliving past experiences, trauma. It's easy to exit, walk away, versus being here in the office. You drove all this way. You put in the effort to be here, the time and the energy. It's less likely that you're going to get up and walk out of my office. It's less rude. It's less impersonal. When you're behind the screen, it's easy to exit. Oh, my, my, my service got cut off. I, I lost connection. It's easy to exit your counseling session when, when stuff gets hard. Those are, those are some of the, 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 the things that I've, I've read, I've seen on uh, some platforms uh, for the, the negatives on um, providing telehealth, telemedicine services. But I want to stay Strictly in my lane of talking about telehealth. Now, here's a look at some positives for telehealth services. So I had uh, COVID-19 concerns going into public places, the lobby of the practice. That is a positive, right? You don't have to endure those uh, anxieties of, of wearing a mask and things of that nature, touching nasty doorknobs, the hassle of arranging appointments, phone calls, consultations. Uh, playing phone tag with voicemail, et cetera, et cetera. It diminishes. All that hassle, about it, it, it just diminishes. Waiting rooms, unplanned waits before appointments. Oh, I'm sorry, Ms. Jones. I ran a little over. We had to unpack some things or we had to get through some things. And so I do apologize for running over with my last appointment. It's easy access. People who need services in rural areas or may have difficulty getting to a location to receive services, mental health, behavioral health services, would benefit from virtual appointments. Let's say that um, you're at work, you take a break, an hour lunch, and you're able to get on your phone and have a session. That is convenience. That is easy access. I get it. Family therapy or group counseling sessions become much more efficient with the use of the virtual platforms available to users, i.e. video conferencing in a family member, conferencing in a family member, FaceTiming a family member, 
or friend to assist in the therapeutic process. So if I see a client, I've got authorizational course, I've got consent, uh, we phone a friend, we um, we send a link to a virtual, one of our, our virtual platforms, I use Simple Practice, I don't want to promote for them, but I send them a link and then boom, they're in. So I have my iPad or he, he or she uses their cell phone and we pull that person up and we're able to have a, a dialogue between uh, three or more people. Family therapy is very effective using virtual um, conferencing applications. Substance use counseling. Many practitioners who treat active users in recovery for substance use addiction would rather meet with their clients via telehealth to ensure they are not traveling to appointments while under the influence. You're not driving while intoxicated. You're not driving while high. That's a liability issue as well. I've noticed less cancellation of appointments because of the convenience of just locking in. A client who suffers from depressive-related symptoms may not have the motivation, the energy to get up and, and go to appointments, drive, or catch the bus, or whatever transportation. It would be more convenient to have a telehealth session instead. Now, let me be clear. I just outlined some pros and some cons, or some cons and pros, and I've used telehealth services in my private practice to, to reach out to clients in the community. I can remember a perspective uh, client reaching out to me on the other side of Texas to consult about helping him through some problems he was having in his personal life. He Googled, searched a mental health professional he could identify with, and he found me on the other side of the state. Because he was more than a 16-hour drive away and we were a good fit, I met with this, this gentleman, and the therapeutic relationship worked for us. I read an article on LinkedIn recently that said 83% of patients want to continue using telemedicine services even after the pandemic. Now, I didn't fact check this, but I can definitely believe it. Why? Because it's convenient. We are becoming a lazy society. Ooh, this is going to be triggering. This is going to be offensive, especially to some of my mental health professionals out there, my fellow clinicians and, and practitioners. They're, they're going to be triggered and uh i may be offensive but this is my opinion this is very subjective at this point y'all so this article said 83 percent of patients want to continue using telemedicine uh, services even after the pandemic is totally over and i get it i know the public wants this we can see that in television programs now uh, television programs are moving away from like some of the live stuff and they're going to uh, the streaming platforms like uh, Hulu and Netflix and Prime, Prime, Amazon Prime and uh, Roku TV uh, because it's more convenient for us consumers. I'm not sure people really consider what goes into the practice of traditional and non-traditional talk therapy and medicine practices. There's no possible way to get an, an assessment of the overall presentation of an individual simply from a video conference call. I'm not 100% against the practice of telemedicine. I just don't recommend it. Okay, here comes the real bias. Yes, I am a licensed professional counselor, 
here in the state of Texas, but I have the, the background in community clinical psychology. In counseling psychology, the literature teaches us to focus on the nonverbal cues that a client communicates during the therapy session. Those cues may be the identifiers that encourage the clinician to probe deeper on a specific topic that may come up during the session. So, hey, if I ask, hey, how, how are you and your mom doing? I'm just throwing this out there random. I'm talking to a teenage boy. Hey, hey how are you and your mom doing? Boom, the knee starts, uh, you know, starts jerking. They start tapping their foot on the floor. I can't see that if I'm shoulders up on a virtual session. I can't see them twiddling their thumbs or picking their nails. I can't see hand movement. I can't see the nonverbal communications being had on a virtual session. I can't see all of them. I can see son. If he looks to the upper right portion of his brain, if he looks up at the, at the ceiling, upper right or upper left, that tells me things. If I see a shoulder shrug, that tells me something. If I see an eye roll, that tells me. I mean, I, I get some, but I don't get all. And I need all of the overall presentation that is being presented to me, the, the nonverbal communications that are being presented to me. Those, those cues may be uh, key identifiers to let me know that I need to probe a little bit. I need to dig a little bit deeper on that question, on mom, that relationship. In person, face-to-face -face therapy is most effective when both client and therapist want to share the space to work on a, pre a presenting problem or presenting problems and concerns together. It's a collaborative approach. If a client chooses to stay at home when, when very well capable of going into the office for their appointment, this concerns me. Now, given the choice to either come into the office or do virtual appointments, most clients, most people would choose the uh, the option that makes therapy most convenient and comfortable for them. I push back on this. As a therapist, I push back on this. When working through problems, do you want to be comfortable? Do you, do you want to be easygoing? It was an easy process. I mean, if that was the case, uh, you know, therapy would be easy and everybody would be one to, to seek out therapy. But therapy is difficult. It's hard. It's not just uh, processing issues inside the office, but a really good therapist will send you home with some homework. A really good therapist will send you home with something to process when you're not here with us. Are you motivated for change? Are you willing to put in the work to feel better or level up? These are some of the questions that I would ask to a potential client who prefers to see me telehealth via virtual, virtually, when they are. Five miles down the road, ten miles down the road, three miles down the road, they could come. We can, I can open up my schedule. I prefer to help my clients through these moments in each session until I feel confident in their mental health prior to doing follow-up virtual appointments. So the first maybe one or two sessions we can uh, do in person, and then follow-up uh, appointments we can do virtually if I feel confident. Uh, that we are able to work through some of these issues together. In closing, telehealth is the new way for practicing behavioral health uh, and, and telemedicine, but it will not be the standard of practice at Minor to Major LLC. I will not allow it. That will not be the standard of practice. We will always encourage you to come into the office first. That is primary. 
you come here or we'll come to you. We take pride in wanting to engage with our clients on an, uh, a personal level that digs deeper than surface matter. By recommending in-person appointments here at our office, we encourage clients to be more invested in the recovery process. Be involved, be, be invested, be assertive. Clinicians who prefer to practice in-home, all right, so this is going to be offensive. Clinicians who prefer to practice in-home virtual sessions due to the cost efficiency of the, the services rendered or the, the convenience, not needing to waste gas or uh, get dressed and go out in the public, do their hair. The, the convenience of the practice are becoming comfortable in their respective professions. Allow me to clarify that, okay? If the reasons for rendering the services via telehealth are, are unrelated to some of the recommended reasons for using the virtual platforms, this is lazy counsel. And I dare say malpractice on behalf of the clinician, meaning if, if you choose to do the telehealth services, if, if a therapist rather prefers to do telehealth services, even if the client is around the corner, three miles, their, their insurance recommended this clinician because they were within a five-mile radius, this client is able to drive. They have their own vehicle. There's nothing prohibiting them and their schedule to come into the office. But the therapist says, hey, listen, I don't have an office um, or uh, I choose not to have an office or practice in my office. I'll, I do therapy from home now. Uh, when they have an office, a, a, a physical office and address, this is lazy counseling. And this is malpractice in my personal opinion, in my thoughts. This is malpractice. Let us not be lazy with healing. Let's be more intentional. Let's not be lazy with, with our, our recovery. Let, and, and clinicians, let's not be lazy in our counseling and the services we render to our, our, the community that we care so much about. Let's be intentional. This is Jeremiah with Minor to Major, helping people turn their minor setbacks into major comebacks. And you've listened to another episode of Winning.